You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Big 12 podcast. And joining me tonight it is Stephen Simcox of Locked On Horn Frogs. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the show, you're new to this. We do a roundtable with Linda Godfrey of Locked On Pokes, Jacob Hatch of Locked On Cougars, uh, John Williams of Locked On Sooners, and also Stephen is there as well. And we do a roundtable, and part of that is TCU Corner. And it's been a funny like bit for most of the season that we've been doing. But I really think like today we ha- we can laugh at this some. We have to dive into it. So Matt Wells was fired today at Texas Tech, which it felt like a little bit earlier than we thought, but it, it came. And the other coach, it feels like, who's really on the hot seat right now is Gary Patterson, which is weird to say because it felt like this was going to be the turnaround year. Uh, a lot of people preseason thought they should have been in the top 25. And um, I think I think we'll just start here, Stephen. Do you think the firing of Matt Wells – Put, not puts more pressure, but it kind of puts the microscope more on TCU because that feels like it's the next shoe to drop in that category. Microscope is probably a good word. Yeah, the, the Matt Wills thing is fascinating. I mean, I think uh, you got a couple names out there that seem like no-brainers and Sonny Dykes at SMU. And, uh, yeah, and Jeff Trailer down in San Antonio who has some really good ties to the, the Texas high school football community being a former Texas high school football head coach. So, I imagine a big part of this is trying to zero in on those guys. I don't get the impression that Sonny Cumbie is really a, a viable candidate, even though he's going to be in the interim for the last four games. Um, but, man, like the, the TCU situation, you know, I was there on Saturday when they played West Virginia, and mm. it's it's never – it's always been a struggle with TCU in attendance because they have a 40,000-seat stadium – and they really don't have the student body to support that. So even when they're good, there's usually complaints about empty seats. And it's uh, it can be kind of a country club cl- crowd that likes to tailgate and might not get there right as kickoff starts. But, I mean, at 6 it's a night game. And that's not mm-hmm. something that TCU gets very often because of who they are and because they haven't been good lately. Uh, it was great weather. You know, it, it was still – I think there was a, a pocket of the fan base that still thought, okay, the schedule's about to soften up. They're 3-3. Three and three. They could maybe go on a run here and win, you know, seven or eight games. And they just got whipped, like, by a bad West Virginia team. And Neil Brown is now 3-0 and against the Frogs. Um, there was a moment in that game that I think kind of spelled out who they've been, like, the last four years. They had fourth and goal at the two. And they were down uh, 20 to 14. And there's about 30 seconds left in the first half, Josh. And you think, okay, you, you wind the clock down, you call timeout, and then you go for it. And if you score, you're theoretically, you're up 21 20 at halftime. Gary was planning on doing that. And he came out of the timeout, and uh, West Virginia called timeout. And then after that timeout, he sent his field goal unit out there. Mm. And they kicked it and they made it a three-point game. And, like, the offense didn't score in the second half. So it, it right. probably didn't even matter in the grand scheme of things. But you could just feel the air in the stadium. What little was there just completely leave. A- after the game and the quote, he said, well, what happened was we had a play that we liked and we knew they weren't going to uh, line up correctly. They called timeout. We decided they knew what we were going to do. So then we kicked a field goal. 
And I'm just like, why do you only have one play for a fourth and goal from the two? Like you can run another play. I, I, I don't understand it. But I feel like what it really is, it's emblematic of a coach who wants, who still wants to play like a conservative style and trust his defense, but his defense is bad now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they can't, they can't hold up there into the bargain and he's not used to coaching in shootouts. Um, so it, it's all culminated in this really uh, kind of bad cocktail and, you know, we, we can get into more particulars about sort of where the fan base is, but I think the, the people that are in the, you know, in the bleachers on Saturday, um, I would say we're, we're probably at a higher point than we ever have been before of folks that are either like, he's got to go, or at least they're saying, you know, we don't want to fire him, but if he, if he decided after this season it was time to retire – that would be fantastic. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and, you know, just trying to think about this situation because it's a pretty, it's a pretty, you know, it's, it's not one that's totally, uh, it's not unique, but it's pretty rare in college football to have a, have a guy with this much longevity, right? It's pretty rare mm-hmm. to have a guy who's, who's this long in as Gary Patterson is. What it reminds me of is this, um, as somebody who has worked in the, you know, the combat sports space, a lot of times there are guys who get older, who were guys who were championship level fighters and they lose one or they lose two, they lose three in a row, but they show a glimpse uh, a little bit of what they were at some point And they try to convince you and they try to convince others in the media and they try to convince themselves that they can still retain what they had. And that kind of leads me to this of where he has, you know, where he has been and where they are going. Look at all those conference, you know, contendership times. Look at all those double-digit win seasons mm-hmm. they've had. Look at the number of times that they've had a nice rebound. You know, look at, look at the way that he's coached. He's been such a spectacular coach. And the problem for him is he has set the standard. It, it's the issue. Is like the, there was no standard before him at TCU. He has set the standard. He is no longer coming close to living up to that standard. Not yeah. even close to that. And once again, I point again to these wins here, these records recently. Seven and six is tenable after 11 and three. There's some attrition. But five and seven to follow that, six and four after that, and the three and four after that. Um, this is not getting any better. He is 61 years old. This is the worst defense he has ever had. He can tell us as much as he wants. And I know he's been saying this, that he, you know, he, he's got a good pulse in this and nobody's going to work harder than him to turn it around. That's fine. He can say that. But there, there has to be some accountability to the standard that you set. You know what I mean? There's got to be some realization that, hey, you know, you've done such a great job and we know we can compete for conference titles here, especially, and I made this case for Texas Tech too, like they had to make a choice that in a changing Big 12 conference, how do they want to set themselves up for when that change happened? Because I know this for a fact, Oklahoma and Texas do not want to be here next year. They, they want to get out as soon as possible. So when that shift changes and there's, you know, when we see new teams coming in, TCU, in my opinion, I believe you think the same thing. They should be in a position where they usually do recruiting wise and what they have done performance wise, where they can maybe not every single year, but pretty often be contending for Big 12 championships Mm -hmm. uh, because they're in Texas. They have been a really good recruiting team. They've had top 25 classes. And this is another, this goes also to the point of maybe, you know, it's time. 
not lately. The last couple classes don't look last class was not good. And this class coming up, I know, I know it's not fully formed yet, but it's not, it's not one of the better classes that Gary Patterson's brought in. All the signs are pointing in one direction. And I know he's not, his goose is not cooked yet, but my thing is like, don't let this get bad. Do not let it get bad. Do not let it get sad. Do not let it get to where David Cutcliffe essentially is right now at Duke. Like, I think that's the worst case scenario. I know TC is a lot better, but I, I think, you know, I think there are some tough choices that have to be made. And that, that was a, that was a horrible loss. The West Virginia loss was an absolutely horrible loss um, for them. It was. And, and that was a good graphic, you know, the other time that there was really any significant talk about something like this was back in 2013. Their first couple of years in the Big 12, as you see there, and they go seven and six and then four and eight. But it wasn't even really talk about moving on from Gary. It was more just, okay, maybe they can't compete in the Big 12. Like maybe they just bought off, bought off more than, bit off more than they can chew in that regard. But then you saw the turnaround. 12 and 1, 11 and 2. You had a 6 and 7 season, but then you bounced back with 11 and 3. And he did something in that time. He innovated a little bit. Like he brought on Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham, and he went to more of an air raid style and he got a little faster on defense and changed the way he recruited. Um, and that led to some, uh, some wins and some great results. The problem now is we're in year four of this, and I'm not seeing any indication of change. And as you said, it's getting worse. And the tech, one reason the tech hire is pivotal to me, because you mentioned the recruiting aspect, and I think that is a big, a big key. And I'm not sure if there has been, I mean, I, I know Texas Tech has struggled since Mike Leach left in general, but I don't know if there's been a worse thing for them than TCU becoming a Power Five team, because there is a huge alumni base of tech people in the Metroplex. Like it's, mm. it's not close to Lubbock, but it's about as close as you can get to a, to a major metro area. Uh, so there's there was a lot there was a great feeder system there for a long time of Dallas Fort Worth players who, you know, okay, you, you had SMU and TCU. If you didn't want to go there, you wanted to play in the Big 12, you could just slide on down to Lubbock and you play at Texas Tech. And that's sort of been broken up by what TCU has done. And it's it's if you look at you know the decade they've been in the league it's one of the schools that he's really dominated. Like there's, he's had a lot of success against tech. He's really kind of established himself against Baylor, Kansas, as everybody else has, and then Texas. Well, the tide's already kind of turning, I think, at UT. Like Steve Sarkeesian's doing a nice job. They beat TCU this year. We'll see what happens in the Baylor game this year. But I think so much of that had to do with just the musical chairs they've had at head coach. Um, and they look better than they have. Even even that this team even looks better to me than that 2019 team did in some ways, because that team always played close games. Um, so if Texas Tech kind of figures something out, well then that's another right. school that theoretically kind of jumps ahead of you in the, uh, you know, in, in like the, they should uh, they should be Texas Tech, like they should yeah. be consistently yeah. beating Texas Tech. They did this year, which is great, but like that mm-hmm. that's the bare minimum. Like that is that's what you should like. Let like talk about like they have that advantage of being in the Metroplex. Whereas Lubbock is like five hours out of the way, and they need to, they need to, you know, they need to be that air raid team. Like yeah. TCU doesn't have to do that. They can, they can be a defensively sound football team that can play to its offensive personnel strengths to win games. I think that's that's what TCU football should be. I mean, I know Gary wants to run the football, but like, let's be honest, you know, 
right now they can do that. Um, but I mean, they've got a pretty decent passing offense too. But like, that's what I'm saying is like, hey, mm-hmm. Quentin Johnson's awesome. Let's make sure he gets the ball a bunch. They're doing a great yeah. job of that. They're doing a really good job of that. The problem is Gary's unit, the defense, is hapless. West Virginia's offense is horrible. They are horrible. Letty Brown's very good, but their offensive line's not very good. They they torched them up and down the field all game long. Now, TCU got a couple nice stops where they held, you know, uh, held them to three as opposed to six. But to me, it's like the signs are there. And th- that's why, you know, that's that's why it's it's one of those things where, sure, he's earned some pedigree. And sure, you know, it's it's not like it's a three and three and nine, right? But look at the rest of the schedule, man. It might be. Man. Look at the rest of schedule. Be, yeah. The schedule's not – they have Kansas left. Um, they've got at Kansas State this week, and that's – I mean, you know. They're not favored right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a toss-up game. A yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a toss-up game, and I would favor Kansas State at home against TCU – the way they've looked, they're home for Baylor. Baylor is a better coach football team right now. They're more efficient. They're, they're, they're straight up good in a way that, that TCU is not. They're at Oklahoma State, which is essentially what TCU aspires to be, right? They run the football and they play awesome defense. They, and they're still also at Iowa State this year. So, sure, they might collect two more wins, but they're not going to a bowl game. Like, they're that's not going to happen for them this year. And one to, to point to this graphic one more time, Stephen – Look since 2010, and even I mean, go back to 20, 2009, Fiesta, Rose, Poinsettia, Peach, Alamo twice. Like these are these are awesome bowl games. They're nowhere near that right now. They're nowhere near it. Their, their last bowl game was it the Cheez It Bowl appearance against Cal. It was. I mean, they qualified for the Texas Bowl last year, but they couldn't right. play with the COVID issues. Yes. So you're staring at two of the last three seasons where you haven't gotten to bowl eligible um, and really three seasons in a row where you haven't made a bowl game and any other, you know, power five program, I think in the country that results in your head coach getting, you know, his walking papers. So that's, right. that's, that's the thing I would say for people to watch over the next few weeks, because um, as you know, Josh, the key here is what do the folks with the money think? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that Gary has done really well, is he has pleased those people for a long time. And obviously a lot of them are older. They saw TCU through a lot of dark times. So him getting the Frogs to the Big 12 and doing what he's done is amazing to them, and they never thought it would happen. Uh, and, and honestly, like I think in their mind, their ideal situation would be, okay, could could he kind of limp his way to 2023 and do do well enough that we could – be a viable program, send him off the right way, and then transition and do new era. And I mean, even as of last year, I would have said that probably is possible just because they were still putting up six or seven wins a season. But man, you're right. Like they're gonna they're gonna be favored in one more game this year, and that's the Kansas game. Mm-hmm. Like I think four and eight is probably most likely right now. Five and seven, maybe. I don't see six and six at all. And you can't like even no matter what he's done, he's done amazing things. Like I can't understate what he's done. Right. You can't let your program, especially in a pivotal time right now where the landscape is changing, you know, new teams are coming in the big 12. There's still the possibility of what does expansion look like around the country. You can't suddenly become the afterthought in Fort Worth that has four and eight or five and seven seasons for a few years and plays in front of half empty stadiums at 11 o'clock because one, I mean, that, that might tank. Like, I still think this is a good job. They invest mm-hmm. really well. There's good resources. You're in a metropolitan area. Like You're in Texas. Yes. And <laughs> You're in Texas in, in Dallas, I mean, mm-hmm. near, near Dallas. 
in 2021, that's an attractive job. In 2023 or 2024, if you're coming off your third losing season, it's a much different situation. So I, I think that's where the boosters are on October 25th or 26th, whenever you're listening to this. Um, they'd still like to see him find a way to get through the rest of his contract. But I, I'm, if it keeps going like this, I think it has to change because I just feel like their hand's going to be forced. And, and that's why, you know, privately, like – it's got to go one way or the other in my mind. Like either you turn it around in a hurry right. and that's the best thing long-term or the best thing long-term is honestly, you just kind of bottom out over the next few weeks. And it becomes obvious that a decision has to be made because you can't keep rolling like this. 